This program is paid for by Advocacy United. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Advocacy United or its guests and do not reflect the views of WPHT or Odyssey. Today's program is pre-recorded. Consider a career with the International Brotherhood of Boilermakers. As a Boilermaker apprentice, you'll earn while you learn. We offer excellent wages and benefits. And as part of our no-cost, hands-on apprenticeship program, you'll learn from the best in state-of-the-art training centers and on the job. Become a union Boilermaker and get on your way to a great career. Visit Boilermakers.org or call 844-IBB-WELD. And guess where this additional billion gallons of biofuel is going to come from? It's going to come from abroad. That's not an American first energy policy. We're in this together. Labor's in this. Building trades are in this. Refiners are in this. American consumers need us to do this too. Now across the Jacob Media Network, welcome to the Labor and Energy Show special. Exclusively presented by the PBF Energy Paulsboro Refinery and the PBF Delaware City Refinery in collaboration with the labor unions that build our communities. If you fix this RINs issue, you're looking at a reduction of 25 to 30 cents a gallon. This is the Labor and Energy Show, bringing labor leaders, national experts, and political influencers together to educate you about fancy terms like RINs and Reggie, while explaining the truth about energy independence. Welcome to the Labor and Energy Show with J-Doc and Krause. Across the Jacob Media Network, welcome in everyone to another edition of the Labor and Energy Show with J-Doc in Krause broadcasting across the Jacob Media Network and then also airing uh, on big radio stations from Pittsburgh into Philadelphia uh, and then down to Washington, D.C. And for all of the support that we have received uh, over the last year and a half into, uh, well, I guess it's longer than that now, J-Doc, two years now. Um, we're super appreciative of that, but we stay true to the core mission of the Labor and Energy Show, and that's to continue to educate the public. Yeah, Joe, uh, you know, it's it's so important. And our initiative is Common Sense and Energy. Uh, like you mentioned, educating the, the public on the facts and the realities of energy across the country and the world. And we've had the who's who uh, in our traditional energy, in our labor community, uh, on our broadcasts, in our political community. Um, and, it, you know, a lot of the things we talk about, a lot of the narratives uh, that are going around, you hear words constantly like the, the transition and renewables, uh, we, we support renewables, of course. Um, and But what's important is to educate the public that there's no no switching a button here, okay, and, and, and switching to renewables overnight. And the narrative would allow people to think that, okay? And um, one of the things when, when you hear, you know, about the, uh, the transition and all those things, and uh, our organized labor uh, community has done, I mean, you know, obviously jobs and wages are really important. And uh, we've done a lot of uh, research and a lot of participation in panels and all those things about, um, you know, a so-called transition. Uh, you know, the facts are not what people think they are. So it's important. And now we have a representative, uh, uh, Michelle Budworth, uh, you know, who represents the, the coal industry, the coal fleet. and. Uh, if anybody has obviously not been living on a rock on you know under a rock on a desert island, they know that that the coal industry is taking the the brunt of the wrath, okay. And we're going to be educated um, a lot on 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 the coal industry 
uh, and a, a lot of the important facts that you don't hear on a daily basis. Okay, and so uh, we everybody you know gets their say, gets to gets to talk about and educate the public and the and and, and the policymakers. Okay. And this is no exception. So I'm ecstatic to have Michelle Budworth, and she'll introduce herself and talk about America's Power, the organization she represents. It's going to be a great show. Yeah, just a reminder for our listeners and our viewers across the Jacob Media Network, last week's show on EV mandates is a great listen, and you'll find that episode uh, on Apple or Spotify or wherever you download or consume your podcast. Just go to Apple or Spotify and search labor and energy. But we've covered that gamut, J-Doc. A lot of feedback coming um, from that conversation about the mandates uh, on electrical vehicle, uh, or electric vehicles. We generated good conversation with that a week ago. Another area, okay, where, of course, we support electric vehicles, okay? Uh, if you could afford one, you know, by all means, okay? Uh, but throw the word mandate on there, okay? And now, uh, you know, we're, we're writing checks we likely won't be able to cash, okay? And in the process, um, major issues. And what's important about the issue is a lot of legislation's getting, uh, you know, be impactful legislation's coming across the, the, the table now. And the general public, m most of the general public has no idea what an electric vehicle mandate is. Uh, shutting down gas-powered autom automobiles, uh, but they have no idea what the potential impacts are of shutting down the possibility of buying a gas-powered car or uh, mandating, uh, you know, the fact that 17 states and growing are they have uh, electric vehicle mandates that will be in full effect by 2035 that start as soon as 2024. So, we, again, we got a lot of feedback on that particular things again not not against electric vehicles totally support them mandates you know create unbelievable impact and problems uh for our 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 country as we get ready to go into the break here across the jacob media network this is the labor and energy show take 20 seconds again j doc just to set the table for our very special guest today yeah no uh michelle bloodworth is the the the, the, the president and CEO of America's Power, um, the, the coal representing, uh, you know, the, uh, uh, the coal uh, industry. OK, she's going to talk to us about her members, about, you know, the real issues, about grid issues with the grid and, 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 and the issues and the things that people <clears throat> may not understand. And so uh, it's going to be a great conversation. Looking forward to it. This is the Labor and Energy Show with Jadoc and Krause. Cross the Jacob Media Network. Back in a moment. PBF Energy wants you to know hidden RIN costs are adding almost 30 cents to every gallon at the pump and pushing independent American refineries to the brink. It doesn't have to be this way. President Biden can lower gas prices and protect thousands of union refinery jobs by fixing the renewable fuel standard. And he should. Visit fuelingusjobs.com slash take action to urge President Biden to stop the RIN sanity and fix the renewable fuel standard today. Operate engineers are the men and women that move mountains. And the Engineers Labor Employer Cooperative, ELEC, puts them to work. They create opportunities for the men, women, and union signatory contractors of Local 825, repaving our roads, keeping our homes bright and warm, and even building our favorite team stadium. 
We understand infrastructure. That's why ELEC and Local 825 are ready to get to work. Buying a car is a big decision. Makes, models, colors, cost. But soon enough, the government is going to make that decision for you. Delaware and New Jersey are on a collision course to ban the sale of new gas-powered cars. In 2035, you'll have no choice but to buy an electric vehicle in those states. Tell Governor Carney and Governor Murphy to stop the EV mandate and let drivers decide. Portions of tonight's Labor and Energy Special are presented by PBF Energy and supported by members of the labor union community, a collaborative to educate the public and change the narrative. And welcome back, everyone, to the Labor and Energy Show with JDoc and Krause. Thanks again for either tuning in and watching us on the Jacob Media Network or listening in from Western Pennsylvania to Philadelphia down to where all that policy is created uh, down in Washington, D.C., where we air weekly uh, on a big radio station as well. J-Doc, over to you to get our guest into the conversation. Thank you, Joe. Uh, I'm ecstatic to bring into the program Michelle Budworth, president and CEO of America's Power. Uh, Michelle, welcome to the show. Well, thank you. I really appreciate uh, the opportunity. And as I said to you guys earlier, I am from Birmingham, Alabama. So uh, sorry about the accent. No, listen, as soon as you started the talk, I thought you were from South Philly. You know <laughs> what I mean? <laughs> uh, just kidding. But listen, um, we, we, we really appreciate your time. Uh, like in our opening, uh, we obviously, we, 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 uh, our, our program, like Joe Krause said, aims to educate our, our uh general public and our policymakers uh, on the on the common sense and energy realities and the facts okay the narrative um you know has in a sense been hijacked by extreme situation not in a sense uh by extreme uh individual and and you know we don't get into the rhetoric we talk about the facts and the realities so that the people uh, general public can make decisions and form opinions on the true realities of what's really going on Okay, and so having said that, if you would, uh, Michelle, tell our listeners a little bit about obviously yourself and America's Power. Yeah, so America's Power is the only uh, national trade association who is solely focused on uh, coal electricity and also its supply chain. So our members consist of electricity generators, coal producers, transportation companies, uh, and also equipment manufacturers who are involved uh, in the coal supply chain. Uh, certainly the coal fleet has been the backbone of the U.S. electricity grid, certainly for decades. Uh, it is very critical to maintaining, uh, to continue to maintain affordable electricity, uh, but also ensuring a reliable and resilient electricity grid. I think a lot of people don't recognize the fact that 41 states uh, rely on coal for their electricity. And so it's certainly an integral part uh, of allowing people when they expect to flip the switch, uh, the lights to come on. Exactly. And one of the other things that we try to do on the broadcast, but also in our organization, our nonprofit Advocacy United Energy Education and Awareness Council is take or is is combine the resources of organized labor. Okay, we have a lot of uh, labor leadership on our board, uh, and our traditional energy uh, sector. Uh, you know, to combine resources to get out. You know, the 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 information again, so people can form opinions and make decisions. 
okay, based on the facts. Okay, so let's uh, first let me let me ask you uh, talk about your members' presence in Pennsylvania, West Virginia, Ohio, and Virginia. These are the states that the broadcast, uh, you know, air, you know, airs in uh, every week. Yeah, so we have um, uh, a lot of members uh, spanning from merchant generators uh, in West Virginia, coal producers in West Virginia. Uh, Consol Energy is one of our members, uh, which also has uh, production uh, in Pennsylvania. Uh, and Ohio is certainly uh, also a large state, uh, really with all facets of our industry, from those equipment suppliers to coal producers, uh, to also electricity generators who sell into PJM, which is one of the largest uh, wholesale markets, which Pennsylvania, uh, Ohio uh, are members of, uh, and West Virginia. And so, Michelle, real quick, real quick, is there an is there a different dynamic between the states, between that triangle of states in terms of Ohio, West Virginia, and Pennsylvania? Well, there there are because obviously fossil fuel uh, is an important part, uh, both from a job standpoint and from the amount of generation that coal supplies. Uh, in that region, uh, as I mentioned, those states uh, are a part of PJM. Uh, there are other states like Delaware, New Jersey, Maryland, uh, who are uh, retiring at a faster pace, many of these fossil fuel resources. And so it's incumbent upon uh, the three states, Maryland, West Virginia, Ohio. Uh, they provide a lot of that electricity uh, when the sun's not shining and the wind's not blowing. Uh, and so they play an instrumental role, both from an economic development standpoint, uh, but from ensuring reliable and affordable electricity. And having said that, I want, you know, how much electricity is still generated? You know, you mentioned 42 states. Okay, but let's talk about potentially on a, on a percentage basis. Um, how much electricity is still generated by coal in the U.S.? So coal right now, uh, last year provided about 20% uh, of the electricity uh, demand. Uh, nuclear was about 33%, natural gas about 54%, and then wind, solar, and hydro, uh, less than 2% uh, of the overall uh, generation mix. Okay. Now, having said that, how many coal-fired plants have been retired in the last five years? How many are expected to be retired if things continue at this rate? Um, in the next five years? Yeah, so uh, in 2010, the coal fleet was at its peak. We had about 317,000 megawatts. Fast forward today, uh, we have about 188,000 megawatts uh, in the United States. So that's more than 40% of the coal fleet has uh, been retired. Uh, now, when we look forward to 2030, uh, approximately uh, over 80,000 megawatts of coal generation. Uh, utilities and owners uh, have announced publicly that they plan to retire. Uh, but our biggest concern is uh, the impact of six of these environmental regulations that could cause the closure uh, of more dispatchable resources, not only coal, but also natural gas, uh, which is what has these grid operators across the United States sounding these huge alarms about we are headed toward a reliability crisis. Uh, when you have someone like the CEO of the North American Electric Reliability Corporation, who is kind of the watchdog for reliability across the United States, when he sounds that alarm, 
you know, Houston, we have a problem. People pay attention and people listen. Uh, and so it's really more about the math. We are losing uh, dispatchable traditional thermal resources uh, that aren't dependent on the weather at a faster pace than what we are adding wind and solar. Uh, but when you think about reliability, most people think we just need to have enough megawatts in the United States, but reliability is more than that. The generation resources, uh, they have to have essential reliability services, which many intermittent resources don't have. Doesn't mean that uh, we're not supportive of renewable resources, uh, but at the same time, the more renewable resources you add, you still have to have those resources like coal that have fuel security. We all saw what happened during Storm Uri and Storm Elliott, where coal provided about 50% of that incremental increased electricity demand. Uh, even because natural gas has a lot of competition, there's a lot of other uses for natural gas. Uh, and also, uh, certainly solar and wind uh, disappeared uh, during the peak hours when certainly we all needed our heat uh, the most. Michelle, I just want to get clarity. Um, J-Doc, just give me a second here. 2% was the percentage for wind and solar? Yeah, so wind, wind and solar um, only provided 3 to 6% of the, of the electricity, uh, certainly when demand peaked. We all know the sun goes down at night. Uh, and one of the problems with renewables is long duration battery storage. Uh, and certainly there's advances being made, but, it, but it's not prime time for commercial. Um, we don't have any long duration battery storage. So like when we had Sturm Uri and we have six to seven days of cold weather, you're really depending on those traditional thermal resources. When you look at Storm Elliott, 94% of that incremental electricity demand was provided by fossil fuel, coal, natural gas, and oil. And without those resources, PJM as an example, uh, would have had to shed load uh, and could experience rolling blackouts, which is what NERC has basically said that two thirds of our country is at elevated risk of blackout. That's really unheard of, uh, certainly in the United States. So here's what I don't understand. J-Doc, just bear with me for one second. Use 6% as, as the average. How could we ever get there with that process? I excuse the ignorance of that question. It's the first time I've ever heard a percentage about it. How could we ever get there to count on that as, as a reliable way for us to exist? Correct. Because even with the incentives in the Inflation Reduction Act, which certainly have uh, encouraged the investment in a lot more renewables, uh, but uh, what a lot of people don't understand is if you're really going to achieve 100% decarbonization, according to the Biden administration's goal, <clears throat> it would require you basically to re-engineer the entire electricity grid. So the Electric Power Research Institute, uh, which is very well respected in the United States, has estimated to achieve that 2035 decarbonization goal, you'd basically have to add a million megawatts of wind, solar, and battery storage. That's the size of the entire U.S. electricity supply, which would cost about a trillion dollars. On top of that, you're going to have to build out a tremendous triple 
uh, or quadruple the size of the existing transmission system. We know that nobody likes large voltage transmission. There's lots of permitting issues. It takes 10 to 15 years uh, to get built. Uh, and so there's the cost on top of that as well. And again, many of the renewable resources, and again, we support renewables, but they still need those dispatchable thermal resources because we don't have hydrogen, advanced nuclear. We hope someday we have carbon capture and storage, but those technologies are far from being commercially viable. So do you think people actually understand it? And let's paint a, 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 a a layman's look at this, okay? Because we talk about the grid and we talk about, um, you know, retirements, okay? Uh, you know, happening at a much higher rate than, uh, you know, the replacements. What does it look like from a, 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 a layman, a member of the general public, somebody who just wants to, you know, turn the air conditioner on in the, in, in, in the summer and, of course, uh, you know, turn the heater on in the winter, okay, because ever since I can remember, I could just go up, go, you know, look at the thermostat, go one way or the other, and everything's um, every, everything feels cool and, and room temperature. Uh, what, what does it look like potentially? And, and we don't get into fear factors, we get into facts. So, um, you know, that's, it, 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 do people understand it also? Talk about what a person can expect if we continue on this pathway? Yeah, that's a great uh, question. You know, these uh, electricity is extremely complex. You know, we're trying to uh, educate both state and federal policymakers and the consumers at large uh, in a way that they can understand it. <clears throat> because again, to me right now, it is not physically engineering math wise possible. Uh, to basically eliminate uh, coal, oil, and natural gas. Uh, those resources are going to be needed now and well into uh, the future. But when you have, uh, we've certainly been elevating uh, our concern with these EPA regulations and also the accelerated pace of coal retirements. But when you have uh, grid operators, whether that's uh, MISO, which is the Midwest Independent System Operator, you have PJM, they house the largest coal fleets in the United States. And they are saying, Houston, we have a problem. You know, they're telling their utilities that we cannot sustain the reliability of this grid at the pace, whether that's state decarbonization goals, whether that's utility goals, certainly investor-owned utilities have a lot of pressure uh, from their board members. Uh, we have a lot of public power and rule cooperative uh, who certainly have invested a lot of money. They do not want to retire their coal plants. They serve rural America. Uh, but the good news is, is that finally, because you have electricity experts, and including all four FERC commissioners, testified that we, we still have to have coal now and in the foreseeable future uh, if we are going to maintain the reliability of the grid but we've never had before the acceptance that there is a problem, that the pace is not sustainable. The good news is, is we've had uh, about almost 10,000 megawatts of utilities who have delayed retirement because they are recognizing that many of their goals uh, were, were they're, they're not able to achieve, again, because of all those challenges we're not able to bring on uh, enough renewables onto the grid to offset uh, the loss. You, you heard us talking about it in, in segment one, Krause and I, 
uh, electric vehicles, which again, like renewables, we all support. Um, however, electric vehicle mandates. Now we're talking about retirements now under the, under the current conditions, okay? If we just replaced, uh, if, if we, if we you know, hypothetically uh, press the switch and retired all of our uh, traditional energy resources and went to renewables tomorrow, which is a fantasy, uh, but you know, uh, uh, a reality to, to, to a narrative that's being pushed. Okay, that doesn't include electric vehicle mandates. At, you know, where where we retire the 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 gas run engine, okay, gas run automobiles, and switch every car to electric vehicles. Now, you know, and you'd have ports everywhere, which would strain the grid even you know right now, okay. What is what is your thought about that and that picture stressing an already stressed situation? Um, no, that's that's a, a great a great question. Um, when you think about uh, trying to electrify the entire economy, and it's not just EVs. You know, we've heard about uh, some states uh, who want to convert uh, home heating, you know, from a gas furnace or a cooktop uh, to to electric. We're seeing huge data centers. You know, I live in Virginia, and uh, Dominion had to turn away uh, two, uh, you know, companies who wanted to develop two data centers because they were short the capacity. I mentioned I was recently uh, on a panel with the CEO of PJM, certainly the large, one of the largest grid operators in the United States. And they were forecasting in, in 2027 to 2028, uh, and they used conservative growth and electricity demand uh, that they're going to see a retirement of about 40,000 megawatts. And when people asked him, do you think your estimate is conservative? given all of the electrification, and he said yes. They expect the shortfall to be even greater. Uh, I mentioned in MISO in their 15 states, they are not only showing a shortfall uh, in 2024, they're showing that shortfall, shortfall, meaning we don't have enough generation to basically keep the lights on between now and 2041. And they said if these, they're expecting to have 40% increase and given all of these mandates, whether those are federal mandates, you know, EVs, uh, more than 50%, uh, certainly this administration expects to be built uh, EVs instead of gasoline-powered cars. Uh, and again, the fact that we're short now, that is only going to grow, which means we need more of these traditional resources uh, because each resource complements each other in a different way. We don't need to eliminate any resource as we try to electrify uh, the economy. This is the Labor and Energy Show with Jadoc and Krause. We'll take a break. Back in a moment. What's a boilermaker? We're the skilled welders, riggers, and craftspeople who will help you grow your competitive edge. We step up when others step back, and we do the job right, on time, on budget, and safely. No drama, just results every time. We're the International Brotherhood of Boilermakers, and everything we do begins with our bond. Let's get to work together. Visit bestintrade.com. 
Neuter Integrated Multicraft Contractors has been a force since 1896. That's right, 1896. And specializes in welding, piping, mechanical, structural, constructability reviews, project management, and rigging design services. For a free consultation, call Neuter at 314-421-7600. Neuter proudly serves petroleum refining, chemical processing, power generation, and alternative energy. Get in touch with Neuter at 314-421-7600. The Eastern Atlantic States Regional Council of Carpenters is proud to present skilled union workers, including the workers that build and maintain our energy infrastructure. The safest, best trained, and most productive carpenters in the country are on the job. Whether it's energy from nuclear, wind, coal, natural gas, or offshore wind, the EAS carpenters are ready to provide the construction need of an energy industry our families depend on. If you're interested in a job in construction, visit EAScarpenters.org or follow us on social at EAS Carpenters. This program is paid for by Advocacy United. Today's program is pre-recorded. Portions of tonight's Labor and Energy Special are being supported by the members of the labor union community, including Steamfitters Local 420, Jim Snell, Business Manager, the Eastern Atlantic States Regional Council of Carpenters, and the United Steelworkers. And back here on the Labor and Energy Show with Jay Dr. Krause across, of course, the Jacob Media Network and broadcasting on our platform from Western Pennsylvania, down into the Philadelphia market, South Jersey, Delaware, Maryland, all the way down into uh, D.C., J-Doc. And as Michelle mentioned, that West Virginia, Ohio, Western PA corridor, uh, we're right in the middle of that triangle with the Labor and Energy Show. So we um, thank everybody for listening to us or watching us from the western side of the state. We continue our conversation now with Michelle Bloodworth. Good segment, Jay Doc, and uh, our previous opening segment with Michelle. Absolutely, and you know the information that that you know that we're providing right now is food for thought, at night, ladies and gentlemen, and reality. And talking about maintaining our industries, okay, uh, and working together. One of the things that we talk about a, a lot here is uh, organized labor. Uh, you know. It, our traditional energy sectors, and of course, um, our political uh, leaders, our policy makers working together and our renewable industries to create uh, solutions, okay, that are not going to shut us down. Now, one of the things, uh, and it's, it's in a sense like being in the twilight zone, okay, but there's realities here and let's talk about them. First of all, Michelle, um, I'm sure you heard about Michael Bloomberg's philanthropic contribution of $500 million to uh, uh, the nonprofit Beyond Carbon campaign uh, to basically obliterate coal and natural gas plants that generate electricity, okay? And, uh, you know, so, and they want to replace everything with renewable energy and would do it today if they possibly could, okay? Talk about that type of narrative being built and, Talk about uh, the possibility. Do we ever get the opportunity to work together for, and you hear this a lot, okay, for common sense solutions? Uh, you know, we care about our environment. Obviously, one of the things we, we, we talk about is we're not willing to sacrifice our environment, even for jobs or anything, our, 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 our children's future, uh, the way we leave the planet, okay? That's unnegotiable. Okay, but also unnecessary. Okay, do so. You, you you hear about Michael Bloomsburg contribution? Okay, and 
you look at the narrative as it as it is. A, your thoughts on that. B, uh, will we ever get the chance to work together on common sense solutions? Um, where are we? Well, certainly uh, narratives uh, and Michael Bloomberg's initiative uh, are, are not very are not very helpful. Uh, we certainly are working across all aisles of Congress and, and in the states. Uh, and again, just like uh, you guys are, uh, we're certainly supportive of clean energy. Uh, we advocate for sensible, flexible environmental policies, uh, ensure a lot of that flexibility should be given to the states uh, who certainly are gonna implement them in a manner uh, that is best uh, for the residents uh, within their state. <clears throat> However, what uh, is uh, certainly uh, challenging is, is when you have, you know, ill-advised policies or, or regulations driven uh, by an administration uh, who certainly is not putting reliability first. You know, as we listen to uh, FERC uh, commissioners and electricity experts, they all want to accommodate their states with clean energy but they, they uh, very clearly say we're about reliability and reliability has to come first. That's why we're supportive of a gradual grid transition that allows time for transformational technologies uh, to be developed, including uh, those for fossil fuels, uh, carbon capture and storage, uh, instead of having a narrative uh, that basically doesn't understand the math and the engineering and the science uh, for the technology that we have today uh, and so again, that's why I think we need all resources. We need a genuine all of the above, not a lip service all of the above. Uh, that also includes uh, fossil fuels and continues to allow us to remain uh, energy independent uh, instead of dependent on other countries. Uh, and $500 million right. doesn't scratch the surface. <laughs> when, when, you need it, when, when you need a trillion, yep. so, but, but the public, Here's the number, and they're wowed or indirectly influenced by that statement. That's what I think. I don't know whether that's right or not, but that's what I think. And I mean, what Michael Bloomberg, you know, d doesn't understand, and certainly there's there's a lot of uh, rhetoric uh, behind many of those uh, politicized uh, statements. Uh, but it, it really doesn't help. It certainly sends uh, an investment signal, uh, you know, to investors who are looking at uh, investing in those fossil fuel resources so they can make sure, you know, when it's 20 degrees outside that those plants uh, still run and are still capable. And I think what a lot of people, you know, don't really understand is, you know, megawatt of thermal generation is not the same as a megawatt of wind and solar. And so when you look at thermal resources, these electricity markets, they value that capacity where coal provides 90, has a 90% capacity factor. Wind is an example, only provides 17%. So you have to build almost 10 times as much wind uh, as you do a thermal resource, natural gas, coal, even nuclear. But what people don't also understand is there are these other essential reliability services, all those things like voltage stability, long duration energy, fuel security, being able to have, like coal has 60 days of on-site fuel. We, renewable resources just don't have those, 
those attributes. Maybe someday we'll see long duration battery storage, but that's years and years and decades away. And so instead of supporting a gradual grid transition, so the grid has time, not only do you have to develop transmission, certainly there's a lot of stranded costs when coal plants and natural gas plants are retired. Uh, and when you add the fact that you have to have the dispatchable resources, the thermal on top of the renewable, my concern is electricity prices are already going up. You know, can, can consumers really afford to pay for a rushed artificial grid transition? Uh, when if we all work together to support a gradual grid transition, certainly it would be better uh, for the United States as we try to compete globally uh, and also for certainly rural America. You know, you, you think about the, the, the this conversation, okay? And one of the issues we've realized is uh, energy can be a complicated language, okay? And we like to, in a sense, bring it into layman's terms. I mean, I'm, I'm an iron worker, and, and let me just say this, okay? It's been like translating, okay, a different language and, bring, you know, and, and, and learning and being educated, um, you know, on a daily basis. However, um, you know, it's important, no matter what the situation is, to educate the public on, you know, just you know, not only the facts, but, but just the language, what, what is really going on translating it on our show, Joe and I often think we, we feel like translators. Okay. But if I can understand these facts, okay. And these details, the, the, do our political, do our policymakers, does Michael Bloomberg understand, uh, this conversation? I mean, let's be real. You know, the, 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 the narrative, you, you just, talked about a, 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 a common sense transition, okay? Nobody is sitting here saying, screw the environment and, you know, you know let's, let's keep um, uh, renewables out of the market. Do our political leaders understand what's going on? Does Michael Bloomberg really understand what's going on? And, he, you know, if he does, what, what is going on? Why, you know, what, why this narrative? Why all or nothing? Why don't our traditional energy sectors, okay, get the benefit of the doubt when we talk about working together? Because in a, in a conversation, you know, when you talk about renewables and a lot of these questions you're bringing up, oh, we'll figure it out. We're, we're America, we're, you know, and, and we'll develop, whoa, whoa, why don't our traditional, why don't we have to shut down, retire all of our resources uh, without without saying, hey, let's all get the benefit of the doubt, work together on this common sense solution. Talk about that and tell and and let let the people know, or and and me especially, what you know. Do, do our political leaders and Michael Bloomberg really understand what's going on? And the fact is, you can't you can't do that. Well, um, I'll have to, I'll have to say that uh, for Michael Bloomberg to make the statements that he's made, he certainly uh, is not well educated. Uh, I would encourage him to talk to the CEO of NERC, to talk to the CEO of PJM, to talk to the CEO of MISO, uh, to really understand the need uh, to continue to maintain these thermal uh, dispatchable resources. You know, we had uh, recently there was a House oversight hearing. Uh, where they uh, basically called in, uh, in, including Cal ISO, New York ISO, all of the wholesale electricity market experts, uh, and all of them pretty much uh, agreed 
uh, that we uh, need more dispatchable resources, not less, that we have to put reliability first, and that at the rate we're going, uh, and certainly uh, many of them have provided extremely strong comments about EPA's uh, environmental regulations, in including uh, the uh, carbon rule, uh, CPP 2.0, as many are calling it, uh, that if those rules move forward, uh, that we are going to have electricity shortfalls. Uh, they are very concerned. Anybody only has to read uh, their comments uh, as it relates, and certainly they're fuel neutral, uh, but they're also reliability uh, first. I would say, though, as it relates to some in Congress, uh, I believe that some of them um, do understand and are trying to pass meaningful legislation. Uh, Sen Senator Barrasso uh, has introduced a SPUR Act, a permitting reform bill that basically would require uh, FERC uh, and EPA to do reliability analysis uh, before these policies are finalized. Uh, and also, it would also require grid operators uh, to value a lot of these attributes that I mentioned, fuel security, uh, in a way that would benefit because that revenue would come back to help lower electricity prices like in Pennsylvania, in Ohio, in Kentucky, in those states where their fossil resources are helping other states who are retiring those at too fast of a pace. Okay, so let's talk about solutions, okay? Uh, you know, you, uh, emissions are a concern, okay? Uh, we, we've talked about, um, obviously, you know, the coal industry taking the wrath of it, even by a, you know a, a lot of our uh, a lot of our traditional energy leaders. So you know, t talk about you know we have carbon capture. You hear a lot about carbon. We've done a number of shows on it, uh, but it's not quite that simple. Uh, talk a little bit about. Let's talk about the solutions. Uh, can coal be used more efficiently so it's less emitting per unit of energy uh, of the energy it, it generates? Yeah, so let, let me talk first, uh, and then I'll talk about kind of uh, about the solutions, uh, because obviously the biggest threat right now to the coal fleet uh, is these six uh, environmental regulations. And again, uh, many of these regulations are being revised for the third time, rewritten. Uh, the coal industry uh, and certainly coal generators uh, for those environmental regulations under this administration uh, certainly has uh, been proposed within three months. Uh, certainly that is very challenging and difficult to even understand the impact, uh, but EPA uh, themselves uh, has estimated if the carbon rule, the clean power plan uh, were to go into effect, basically uh, the coal fleet would be virtually uh, eliminated in 2035. Uh, this rule also impacts uh, natural gas and coal, uh, which is, uh, one, uh, we, we have never seen uh, such an unlawful uh, environmental regulation be proposed that certainly uh, would drive us to a reliability crisis. Uh, it requires uh, units of owners of coal plants by date certain. Uh, if you want to operate beyond 2040, you would be required to uh, install CCUS. Uh, and we're supportive of carbon capture and utilization. Certainly the Inflation Reduction Act has incentives, but those incentives are the first time. Uh, and to develop technology, uh, we have five members who are pursuing uh, CCUS projects, uh, but they've been working on those about 10 years and they need a lot more time and sustained investment. 
uh, instead of a regulation that would force that technology before it can be uh, commercially and viably developed. Uh, CCUS uh, it cannot be uh, deployed on every coal plant. Uh, and that's why we uh, want to make sure that we avoid premature coal retirements. You know, people have spent a lot of money on environmental tech uh, controls, uh, over a billion dollars, uh, certainly on uh, NOx, SOx, and other emissions. Uh, and so we're just advocating that EPA do that reliability analysis. Uh, and also, uh, as it relates to the Clean Power Plan rule, uh, we basically think that uh, they need to rescind that rule and start over. And so, having said that, um, you know, it, 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 what what don't people understand? Okay, because first we talk a lot about carbon capture. Obviously, it's expensive and it's going to be time consuming. Um, but what 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 should people know about our coal industry that they don't know? And by the way, since it's a you know a, 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 a primary environmental situation aside from coal cat. Uh, carbon capture uh, usage and storage, um, what what other uh, methods and solutions uh, has the industry uh, and is the industry working on to, uh, you know, improve situations? Yeah, so uh, every, every coal plant uh, in the United States uh, has uh, certainly uh, state-of-the-art environmental controls, whether that's regarding coal ash, whether that's discharge water, whether that's reducing ozone, whether that's reducing NOx, whether that's reducing particulate matter. All of these coal plants, certainly they have uh, a lot more state-of-the-art environmental controls than we see in China, which is adding six times more coal plants than we're retiring here in the United States. Exactly. China is the largest coal fleet uh, in the world. So, uh, yeah, let's talk a little bit about China, okay? Um, we have, uh, again, we, the United States has reduced emissions, okay, uh, uh, over the last 20 years, more than any country in the world. Uh, and uh, the top countries, uh, uh, together can match what, what we've done. Yet, like you mentioned, uh, we're in the process of, of uh, you know, shutting ourselves down, okay? And yet China is doing the exact opposite, okay? Uh, you know, they're planning to build more coal-fired uh, generation facilities over the next five years uh, than the USA has in operation today, Okay. Talk about that. A, how do your members feel about that? Um, and it's like, in a sense, being in the in in the twilight zone. And do people understand it? Yes. Well, certainly, uh, I have members uh, who who export uh, coal uh, across the world, and you know, as they look at uh, China, look what happened in Germany. I mean, Germany is trying to re. Luckily, they didn't mothball all their coal plants. So they are bringing as many coal plants back online as possible. Certainly we saw with the invasion of uh, Russia into Ukraine, you know, we saw what happened when electricity prices, uh, when uh, generation sources are scarce. Uh, and that's why the U.S. has a huge opportunity to be uh, certainly en energy independent, but also an opportunity to export, whether that's LNG, coal, uh, natural gas, to help other parts of the world. But if, if as we look at China, who certainly uh, is, as, as I mentioned, they're adding 366,000 megawatts of coal plants. 
So even with the carbon rule, the carbon rule EPA has estimated would only reduce greenhouse gases by 1%. But China certainly is, is continuing to build coal because they want reliable and affordable electricity. They are gonna be able to compete globally and put the United States at a disadvantage because we have a lot of, uh, certainly Michael Bloomberg and other legislation and policies that are ill-advised, uh, that are causing the closure uh, of traditional resources that can continue to provide affordable and reliable electricity. And as we try to develop advanced coal technologies like CCUS, certainly there is a lot of investment in the United States. Uh, and as other states uh, also support that technology, uh, there is a lot of carbon infrastructure pipelines that are going to have to be put in place with carbon capture. And so that's the other reason uh, that it's going to take time uh, and additional investment on top of the Inflation Reduction Act. Along with reform, okay, you mentioned how, how you know, 15 years to get something going. You know, the permitting reform situation, I mean, is, is so mandatory. We only have a couple minutes left, Michelle. I'd like to just ask you real quick about Reggie, okay, uh, Regional Greenhouse Gas Initiative, okay, obviously here in Pennsylvania, it's been, uh, you know, uh, you know, a, a very controversial discussion, okay. Um, is is Reggie, uh, in a sense, uh, you know, is 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 it accelerating, uh, you know, what what you know, it, it, to coal retirements uh, faster than than. Uh, you know, than it needs to be. What is the narrative? What, how is it impacting your industry? Yes, we've been highly uh, opposed uh, to Reggie for a lot of different reasons. It's certainly going to drive jobs out of the state. Uh, it's just going to cause other coal plants to run at higher capacity factors outside of Pennsylvania, certainly losing revenue to the state of uh, Pennsylvania. Uh, it has stymied uh, investment. You know, Homer City, which is one of certainly large employer in Pennsylvania and one of the largest coal plants in Pennsylvania cited just the uncertainty about Reggie as to why they're gonna close that coal plant, uh, which certainly uh, is not uh, a good thing. Uh, Reggie is not gonna cause any uh, meaningful uh, redu emission reductions of carbon in the state of Pennsylvania. There was an independent study who basically said that Reggie uh, if Pennsylvania were to join, it would quadruple electricity rates. And again, if you have uh, the grid operator in PJM, that 13-state region, basically saying we're headed toward electricity shortfall, uh, then that basically tells Pennsylvania we need all of the traditional and your wind and solar. Uh, we need more, not less. And before we go, we have 30 seconds. Once we retire these coal plants, do they ever come back? We have not seen uh, a new coal plant built in a long time. And so uh, we, we do have, uh, I have members who, who have invested a lot uh, to extend the life of those coal plants, uh, but many of those uh, owners, uh, so no, once a coal plant is gone, it's gone. And we certainly don't want to have the same uh, issues that Germany is having uh, right now. Michelle Bloodworth, our special guest today on the Labor and Energy Show. Uh, with J. Doc and Krause. Michelle, great job today. Well-informed, good information. Uh, if our listening audience or our viewing audience, J. Doc, missed any of it today, or perhaps you consumed the entire show, but you want to re-watch it and re-listen to it and continue to educate yourself. Uh, sometimes when I hear some of the stuff that's being said, it is just so mind-confusing um, 
over. It distorts common sense to the point that I can't wrap my arms around why we're doing all this stuff. But anyway, good stuff today, Michelle. Thank you so much. Thank you so much. You guys do a great job. I appreciate right. it. We appreciate right. it, Michelle. Thank you. And we'll get to a break here on the Labor and Energy Show across the Jacob Media Network. JDoc and I'll be back to wrap everything up. The Eastern Atlantic States Regional Council of Carpenters is proud to present skilled union workers, including the workers that build and maintain our energy infrastructure. The safest, best trained, and most productive carpenters in the country are on the job. Whether it's energy from nuclear, wind, coal, natural gas, or offshore wind, the EAS carpenters are ready to provide the construction need of an energy industry our families depend on. If you're interested in a job in construction, visit EASCarpenters.org or follow us on social at EAS Carpenters. PBF Energy wants you to know hidden RIN costs are adding almost 30 cents to every gallon at the pump and pushing independent American refineries to the brink. It doesn't have to be this way. President Biden can lower gas prices and protect thousands of union refinery jobs by fixing the renewable fuel standard. And he should. Visit fuelingusjobs.com slash take action to urge President Biden to stop the RIN sanity and fix the renewable fuel standard today. Can you afford a brand new electric car or a charging station for your home? Want to spend your days waiting in line at a public charging station? Well, buckle up. Delaware and New Jersey are planning to ban the sale of gas-powered cars by 2035. Most drivers can't afford it, don't need it, and don't want it. Tell Governor Carney and Governor Murphy to stop the EV mandate and let drivers decide. Portions of tonight's Labor and Energy Special are presented by PBF Energy and supported by members of the labor union community, a collaborative to educate the public and change the narrative. And back here on the Labor and Energy Show with J-Doc and Krause. Special thanks again, J-Doc, to uh, our guest today on the show. Um, man, it's so enlightening to be educated, but if this makes sense to say... It's also so confusing because we're getting, we're making assumptions about things that aren't necessarily reality. And that's kind of what I take from our conversation and your interview with Michelle today. Yeah, well, I'll tell you, um, you know, it, 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 it's almost like being in the twilight zone. I mean, the extreme differences, okay, when you hear about Michael Bloomberg putting up $500 million to shut down, uh, you know, uh, coal and natural gas plants to generate uh, our electricity, okay, instead of working together on solutions, okay? Uh, like Mich Michelle Bloodworth said, um, you know, the retirements, okay, you know, the, the plants that we're shutting down, okay, are not being made up by the renewables coming into the market, okay? And it's so important that we understand the consequences. Very hard and confusing, like you said, Joe, um, when, 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 when you, you know, smart guy like Michael Bloomberg, you would think he's got to have, you know, the common sense to, to understand the basic facts of this stuff. We, let's get one thing straight. We care about the environment. OK, uh, we need, uh, you know, our, our, our coal plants uh, and our natural gas uh, you know, plants that you know, we, we, we need them to, to be uh, obviously as environmentally, uh, you know, efficient as humanly possible. OK. And. We also need everybody to work together to create uh, technologies like carbon capture, okay, 
uh, and other technologies that, you know, I mean, listen, these, these big companies and these organizations have a lot of capital. Uh, they, you, we, you and I haven't heard anybody talk about, you know, that they're against renewables. They're not. We should be working together and not risking our grid, not risking the security. I, I like the term energy security. Okay, so we need to work together to, to, to create common sense solutions, show not extreme situations that are going to put our grid and therefore our general public uh, in jeopardy, uh, you know, when, when it's unnecessary. You know what I say, J-Doc? I say our elected officials have a responsibility to be educated on the topic and to then engage correctly based on the truth, not based on a rhetoric, create, a, a rhetoric or a created narrative uh, by what, what Jim Snell referenced, uh, the Green Mafia, I think it was, um, on one of our uh, many, many shows that we've done with Jim. And I think that's uh, the right way to end the Labor and Energy Show here with J-Doc and Krause across the Jacob Media Network. We thank everybody, of course, uh, for tuning in, listening, watching, and subscribing. More to come as the year rolls on. This is the Labor and Energy Show with J-Doc and Krause. See you next time, everybody. Thanks for listening to tonight's Labor and Energy Special. You can help. Call your congressperson and join the movement to push back on RINs. This program is paid for by Advocacy United. All opinions or statements expressed on this program are solely those of Advocacy United or its guests and do not reflect the views of WPHD or Odyssey. Today's program is pre-recorded.